The following message is from the 2012 IBCD Summer Institute, Changed by Grace. Okay, well, welcome to this workshop. The title is Coming Out of Homosexuality, Part 1. And the subtitle, Clarity and Compassion for the Struggler, I really hope that's what I'm able to do in this workshop and in ministering to this group, is have clarity from Scripture for them and also um, compassion for them. Um, each generation has key issues, and in our generation, clearly, um, homosexuality is a key issue. No one looking back on our time will f- fail to recognize this is the era of the rise of the, of the homosexual. Um, and as it's being affirmed by culture, government, churches, it's, it's going to keep growing. If, if you look back to... Um, ancient Greece, and you compare that to Old Testament Israel, in one culture where it was affirmed, it was rampant, the other one where it was prohibited, it was virtually unheard of. And in our culture, it's affirmed, and it it will grow. The information is uh, being given today in two parts, in this workshop and then another workshop tonight, part two, at at the 8 o'clock workshop. This workshop is kind of giving you the wrong answers, the unbiblical answers, what the world says about it, and critiquing that. And then tonight is the biblical answers, how to apply that to counseling, and then a a story of a particular uh, real um, guy who who was in counseling. Uh, So let's, uh, let me open a prayer. Father in heaven, help us um, to approach this subject with humility as we remember the, uh, the gospel, that um, we were unacceptable to you, we're sinful and flawed and helpless, and your word says um, ungodly and even your enemy. So help us to remember that, but at the same time remember that because of Christ, we've been made acceptable by you, we're loved by you, we have such an amazing relationship and future with you. And so may our heart be we're no better than anybody else and we want them to have what we have, to, to be known by you and to know you. And help us, whoever we're ministering to, to be compassionate, but yet it's the truth that sets them free. And uh, help me to teach as an earthen vessel. Would you work through me? Help me to teach. And would your spirit teach your people? And we pray through Christ. Amen. So the outline for the workshop is I'll have an introduction and then we're going to focus on what are the unbiblical answers that are out there and critique those. And it's basically going to be broken up into what they call nature and nurture and then four unbiblical belief systems. If, if you're struggling with this and you don't come to the church for biblical counseling, there's four ways you could go and I'll explain what, the, what those are. Uh, one reason this is very important is to give a counselor a big picture idea of what, what you're dealing with. And also what I've experienced is people come into counseling and they have all these unbiblical ideas. And so you have to, you have to understand it um, and be able to you know, reverse their thinking. So to get our, our hearts right, um, the the end of the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus said in Luke 15, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. 
I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And for me, that just makes it so clear to me that this person is so important. Um, And then also, the idea of the truth, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth, 1 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul, that we have an obligation to speak out about this issue that's happening in our generation. In the 1960s, the sexual revolution went on, and the fruit of that was extramarital heterosexuality, legalized abortion, homosexuality, homosexual activism, and homosexual churches, which was born out of that, or really rapidly started growing out of that, and then um, it you know continues on to today. There's a place called the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village, New York. It uh, was a bar. I don't think it exists anymore, but they renamed another place, Stone, Stonewall Inn. And in uh, June 1969, it was a place where homosexuals met. The police came in to raid the place, and there was uh, violent protests that uh, erupted for uh, uh, several days. And that's really what they attribute to the beginning of homosexual rights activism was, was those riots. And it spread through the United States and all through the Western world um, from, from this incident that happened. And when you hear about uh, gay pride parades, they're usually held in the month of June commemorating the, uh, these violent uh, protests that went on. The world's view today is uh, it's not a moral issue that it's no longer a choice. They used to defend it. Everybody has their individual choice. Now they won't say that. They'll say that it's inborn and unchangeable. And that is their their key um, belief, their key strategy. If you, come, if you show that someone's changed, you're going to get a, a strong reaction to that. You know, they're going to they're come up with every way to show you that they didn't really change. And the idea that it's unchangeable is becoming the legal precedent of how they defend things in all the numerous uh, court dockets that are going on on this topic. So if it's unchangeable, they can, they can mold it into a civil rights issue. And so their strategy is to make it a civil rights issue with this three-part, first decriminalize it, the laws that are on the books get those changed, and then gain social acceptance, and then the ultimate goal, total equality and um, same-sex marriage. There's a tremendous amount of pain and trouble that comes from uh, homosexuality. And we'll talk about um, the diseases involved, the physical trauma to the body, and just the overall poor quality of life um, that the majority experience. So there's many sexually transmitted diseases, uh, viral, non-viral. I've counted 14, and I'm sure there's many more, but that's how many I've found. The most common ones, syphilis, human papilloma, herpes, HIV, hepatitis A, B, and C, genital and anal warts, increased HIV rate for the homosexual men. The statistics are that it's 50 times higher than a heterosexual man. And, and these statistics that I'm going to give you are from uh, their literature. Um, so they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't dispute the statistics. Um, infected persons often hide being HIV positive, um, and infected persons in some circles, many circles, are actually made into heroes. 
uh, heroes of the movement. HIV can develop into AIDS. Um, the HIV will destroy the immune system, and then other kinds of um, infections and malignancies start happening because of the destroyed immune system. And in that stage, they can also become carriers of communicable diseases. Uh, males are very vulnerable to the sexually transmitted disease. You notice the stat I had up there was heterosexual men. Um, because of body design, um, it's, a, it's a ready pathway for infection and uh, rectal ulcerations and uh, different kinds of uh, harm to a male body um, causes um, the infections to spread much more rapidly. Diseases, higher, much higher rate of all these different kinds of cancers and also more susceptible to chronic diseases like liver disease. Physical trauma to the body, rectal tearing, sphincter muscle chronic problems, prostate problems, hemorrhoids, uh, different kinds of ulcers, and the need to remove uh, foreign objects from the body. Here's a list of the different symptoms that come as a result of the disease and trauma, incontinence, urgency of defecation, urination problems, diarrhea, cramps, nausea, discharges, fever, abdominal pain, sore throat, anal rectal pain, headaches, painful recovery from surgeries, colostomy bags, painful death. And uh, doctors who work in these communities and they come into the emergency rooms and they come in for treatment, doctors are very aware of the numerous common diseases and injuries that, that they're facing. Uh, poor quality of life. Um, the relationships don't satisfy so typically they move on from relationship to relationship. Um, there's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of anonymous sex that goes on, which makes the uh, um, loneliness worse. They don't use names or they make up fake names, that kind of thing. And then there's a lot of partying. They, um, they'll travel around the country for these big homosexual uh, extravagant parties. And then when the weekend's over and they're back home, um, there's a huge letdown of, of loneliness. And then many won't experience uh, biological children. And uh, not being Christians, they can't fill that with just an undistracted devotion to the Lord. It's just a, it's just a huge hole that can't be filled. Uh, marriages and families are broken. The ones who get married, you know, they'll announce, uh, I can't deny who I really am, and, and they'll leave the family. Um, we had a workshop uh, earlier that was on that very topic, that when a spouse announces, um, I'm gay and I'm leaving. So there's audio available on that. Um, they become estranged from their family and friends. Thus, the, the homosexual culture becomes their family and friends, and then when they get in trouble, um, there's no family or heterosexual friends to, to help them because they, they've broken those relationships. Um, you see at the bottom of the slide, it says that there's several times the rate of all these things of heterosexuals. So that's from their data that they have increased depression, alcohol abuse, cigarette smoking, illicit drug use, anxiety, suicide, attempted suicide, life expectancy lowered, body images problem problems. Um, uh, they'll suffer from discrimination, hatred, victimization, guilty conscience, emotional, spiritual, and physical pain. Extreme cases, they'll, they'll, they're going down a wrong sexual path sinfully, 
Um, and in some cases, they'll go you know, even farther down that path into things like uh, attraction to tra- transvestites. They're mastered by lust their whole life. Um, they don't enjoy the oneness and pleasure that God intended in a sexual relationship. And the greatest tragedy, they just live their whole life um, wasting their whole life in disobedience to God. So you compare this to a life with Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This book here is... um, I think the best book that I've read. There's other books that have um, specific niches they address, and they're good. Um, This is called Straight and Narrow, with a subtitle, Compassion and Clarity in the Homosexual Debate. I I don't agree with everything in it, but it's um, excellent. Um, He does a really good job of being very compassionate, and the clarity meaning very biblical. Um, And a quote from his book by uh, Thomas Schmidt, is he says, in the face of overwhelming evidence, the homosexual lifestyle is anything but gay. The pain we choose, either self-denial or self-indulgence, may be either redemptive or destructive in the long run. So um, that's the introduction. We're going to now talk about the main focus for this workshop, which is what unbiblical answers are out there, and we'll critique those. And, And... the, that initial information is just so as a counselor you have kind of a broader view, you have an understanding. That I, I think the pain and trouble helps you to be compassionate uh, towards them. Um, and then even when we get into these unbiblical answers, you will be faced with this kind of thing if you, if you counsel a homosexual in one way or the other. So to begin with, there's secular cause theories. And I have theories underlined to stress they're just theories, they're not truth. Um, and they've broken up their theories into either nature or nurture. Inter- interestingly, nature and nurture idea is from back was established back in 1875. It's not something that's new and um, you know has has uh, more academia behind it or something. It's um, it's very old. So nature, their theory says that homosexuality is biological. It's inborn. Nurture says there's developmental factors that happen or they learn this behavior. Or they'll say it's a combination of the two or they're coming to the point where they say, we don't know. Um, So the nature theory, they're very compelled to that because um, they're compelled to saying there's inborn causes because there is a, a tendency in a lot of people and there is a strong desire in this way. And so for when they're looking at that without the lens of Scripture, they're saying, oh, they must be born this way. This is so strong. Or it starts at an early age, or we haven't been able to get these people to change, so this must be inborn. If it wasn't, you know, um, that we wouldn't see these things. But they're, they've got these wrong presuppositions is why they come up with these ideas. So when we look, when we critique the nature theory, the secular evidence is actually against these theories that um, that there's this unchangeable thing that's in their in their biology. And I'm going to use the unchangeable gay gene as the example. Um, 
So to critique that theory, first of all, the, the gene has not been found. There's been extensive research, millions of dollars spent um, over 20 years, and there's not one single valid study anywhere. Um, also, identical twins don't share the same problem. They don't share the same orientation. Um, if one twin was homosexual, you would expect the other twin to be homosexual 100% of the time. But the concordance rate there, some studies are as low as 5% of the time. So the, the gay twin studies they've done have disproved it. Um, it shows up and disappears in family lines in a way that you wouldn't say it's some unchangeable genetic thing. It doesn't match the other genetic unchangeable patterns. And then homosexuality is reversible. People have been set free through history. They're being set free now. And then scripture disproves their unchangeable theories. So I said that evidence is against it, but scripture actually disproves it. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and 14, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. So the moral commands of scripture can be obeyed. Um, Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4, 23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's what God does with the Christian. He changes sinful desires to a desire for Christ, a desire for holiness. That's what he does in all of us. We all have sinful desires that are weakening as we have a greater love for Christ and a greater thirst for holiness. Uh, Genesis 1.27, uh, male and female, he created them. God created people to be heterosexual. And then 1 Corinthians 6.11, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. People are changed by believing. By the grace of God, by believing, they change. That is not an unchangeable gay gene. Okay, uh, switching to the nurture theory, which was these external things that happen to somebody. They learn the behavior. Um, they'll say that there's social, cultural, and environmental causes to homosexuality. And um, they'll base it on observations. And the secular world does a good job of making observations. They do make right observations. And they're excellent at documenting the observations they have millions and billions of dollars in this industry and so they can take the time to make the observations and document it. But what happens is they, um, they make the right observations and they add that to wrong presuppositions and then they come out with wrong theories and wrong answers of how to apply it to life, how to fly, apply it to a person. Jesus said in Matthew 6.23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. They have this wrong lens that they're looking at this data they've collected through. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.20, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So here's a list of wrong presuppositions. Uh, they'll say man's not fallen by nature. He's only damaged by his environment. He's an advanced animal. Uh, this isn't sin we're talking about. This is sickness. Uh, there is no real right and wrong. There's no absolute moral values. Um, we're not accountable to God. We're not creating God's image. There's no life after death. There's no ultimate meaning in life. We're just 
brain and body. We're not a soul. Um, and we can solve problems without God. So if you take these observations through that lens right there, you're going to come out with all kinds of wrong theories. And that's what they're doing. Um, I just want to stress that their observations are right and they're very valuable for us. It's just we can put it through the lens of Scripture. So their theory is that there's an external cause to homosexuality, the nurture theory. But Jesus said in Mark 7, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So theory, external, truth of God is an internal cause of homosexuality. So their secular causes, what they call causes, and they've put it in the group of nurture theories, they're actually provocations for someone to sin in this way that that cause their heart to act out on the, the sin in their heart. So their list of causes, um, their list of observations, we could take that exact same list and say, okay, those are right and accurate, but those are not causes, those are provocations for you to act out on your fallen heart. And that's very important to know because this list of what's happened to them, you can understand how they got where they, where they got. <clears throat> So there's, uh, there's these different categories of what they call causes, what we would say are provocations. There's parental provocations, sexual experiences that happen, uh, sibling or peer relationships, verbal and physical abuse, heterosexual difficulties, and, and it being affirmed in the, the government, the church, the culture. They'll say, this causes homosexuality. We, we should word it carefully. No, that's provoked them to act out on sinful desires. So what I'm going to do is just go through parental provocations. Um, because of time, we, and it's kind of tedious to go through all of those different categories and all the ones under those categories. So I'm just going to go through the parental. Um, and I'm using male examples but the same concept works for female. If I do male and female, it gets really cumbersome to follow it. Um, so there's generally some kind of abnormal um, gender role learning um, by the example of the parents or by the teaching of the parents. Um, often mistreated by a father or has a passive father or a father's too busy to invest in the relationship. Um, most homosexual males you talk to will say they part of this whole thing was they were really longing for this male relationship to be loved by a male. Um, But see, we'll get into this more, but what they'll do is they'll blame their father rather than saying, no, this is my sin, I need to repent of it, and my father has his own sin that he needs to be responsible before God. So if they're treated as worthless by their parents, they'll have these poor um, social skills. And so things start occurring, like a male group might notice their poor social skills and start ridiculing them. Um, A molester will observe that they have these poor social skills and think, well, that's an easier target for me. If I do it, I can manipulate them into science. A male might be too close to his mother, overly dependent on his mother, overly identified with the mother. 
uh, especially if the mother keeps uh, the son from the father. And you might hear him refer to that as smothering mother syndrome. If these things happen in a family, a death of a parent, a chronic illness, a divorce, or an actual abandonment, then the, the, child, the male child are, are, will perceive that as they've been abandoned, they've been betrayed, that there's an absolute lack of security in, in their life. If there's favoritism from one parent towards a sibling, the response to that might be they start seeking approval of another male if it was the father doing it, or they might avoid female rejections if it was a mother doing it. Um, okay, we'll just go quickly through these. Early, early sexual experiences, uh, use of pornography, experimenting with same sex, being molested by the same sex, that's a big one. Most people who suffer with homosexuality and have gone into that kind of lifestyle have been molested. And they're, as, when they're young, there's this confusing connection between same sex and pleasure. And um, kind of opens a door to that, to that wrong path. Significant percentage have, have gone through that ex- provocation. Um, they could have a normal desire for a close same sex friendship, but then it gets confused or twisted into a sexual um, relationship. Uh, they might somehow use women's clothing during self-gratification, and so they begin to want the clothing for this enhanced experience, and that can lead into, um, if it keeps playing out, all the way to maybe thinking about wanting to be a female. With their uh, brothers and sisters or their um, friends of their own um, age, what can happen is a lot of homosexuals just... The, the way their, their nature is, they're sensitive, emotional, fearful as a child. And so they start feeling different than other males. They feel like they don't fit in to their peer group. So they end up relating with females. It's more comfortable there. Um, the females encourage that, and the males make fun of it. And so over time, they start seeing the females as their peer group and the males as the opposite group. If they're bullied and mistreated by boys, um, they might uh, start seeking the approval of the same sex, and that can twist into um, getting their approval through sex. Um, A lot of them are different than the stereotypical boy. A lot of them are just more sensitive. They might be poor at sports, but they love the arts, and then that just starts down a wrong path. There's nothing wrong with those things, but it just needs to go down a biblical path um, and, and use you know, the gifts that they've been given in in a God-honoring way. Some of them think their physical characteristics are inadequate, so they start coveting other males' size, other males' attractiveness, their athletic ability, that sort of thing. And through this sin and coveting, that twists into a sexual um, desire. If they're abused verbally or physically um, by authorities, parents in their life, um, they can begin to fear or hate the opposite sex or seek approval of the same sex, depending who was abusing them. And then a lot of them, um, they just want to, they've had bad experiences with heterosexual relationships and they want to avoid those kind of dating relationships, avoid the intimacy that's required in a heterosexual relationship, avoid lifelong commitments, or they've had some kind of mistreatment and bad experience with the opposite sex. 
um, maybe in a dating relationship, and the hurt from that is driving the wrong choices. And the affirmation that goes on in the culture, um, if the parents are for it, um, they see it in the media, they see it in the Internet, they get it in their schools, they're being told this is normal, healthy exploration of sexuality, it's liberating, open-minded, those kinds of things, and it being sanctioned by um, the authorities around them, um, they're more likely to say, why not? Why not do what I desire? So now we're switching to unbiblical belief systems. There's four of them. There's psychotherapy. Um, I'm, I'm going to be talking about the American Psychological Association and the American Psych- Psychiatric Association. There's integrationist therapy, biblical revisionism, and affirming church. So if someone doesn't come to the church and the word of God for help, they're going to get help in one of these four places, and they're going to get the wrong answers. Um, and there won't be the repentance required to be set free, and there won't be the, an adequate amount of truth. Colossians 2.8, the Apostle Paul said, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than, rather than according to Christ. So, psychotherapy. Um, basically, the APA has evolved to the point where they say, There's no solution or known cause. Um, This is a 2010 quote from their literature. It says, There is no consensus among scientists about the exact reasons an individual develops a heterosexual, bisexual, gay, or lesbian orientation. Although much research has examined the possible genetic and doctrinal, developmental, social, and cultural influences on sexual orientation, no findings have emerged that permit scientists to conclude that sexual orientation is determined by any particular factor or factors. Uh, They also say there's no need to change. 2010, quote, both heterosexual behavior and homosexual behavior are normal aspects of human sexuality. And they say even the change is detrimental. All major national mental health organizations have officially expressed concerns about therapies promoted to modify orientation. It seems likely that the promotion of change therapies reinforces stereotypes and contributes to a negative climate for lesbian, gay, and bisexual persons. And I don't know the current status of the Senate bill, but there's, there was a Senate bill recently where they were trying to say you cannot do um, um, corrective therapy to anyone under 18 regarding homosexuality because they, they, the, the idea behind the legislation is you're going to do damage to this person. So it was almost going to be illegal. I I don't know. I think it's Senate Bill 1172. Um, So the APA encourages the lifestyle. They said, coming out is often an important psychological step for lesbian, gay, and bisexual people. Research has shown that feeling positively about one's sexual orientation and integrating into one's life fosters greater well-being and mental health. This integration often involves disclosing one's identity to others, and it may also entail participating in the gay community. So basically what they do now is they hear what the person's lifestyle choices are, they affirm it. If you go to, if you go to them for counsel, they affirm it, and then they help you make adjustments so that you can live a happy life with these choices you've made. Um, but following this chart here, we see how far afield 
men have gone by taking right observations through wrong presuppositions. So the American Psychiatric Association, that these groups have gone from the heading mental disorder, calling it a mental disorder, all the way to promoting it. And prior to 1973, in their DSM, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, they said it was homosexuality was a mental disorder. 1973, they removed it from the DSM purely by political pressure. No new clinical study, no new research. 1975, they put out a public statement that it's not a mental disorder. And in 1994, the American Psychological Association said, this is the way some of the population, this is official writing, some way some of the population expresses love and sexuality. And today in their official writings, they say coming out and gay and the gay community, gay community activity is needed. And tomorrow, we don't know what other sexual type of sins that they would call a mental disorder that they're going to say is not a mental disorder. Um, like pet, pedophilia gets talked about. You know, is that uh, a generational attraction or is that pedophilia and they're starting to talk about the wording and things like that so if someone goes to psychotherapy for counsel for this issue they're going to be told the cause is first of all there there is no cause is just normal for you or it's your biology or it's been developmental or we don't know and any kind of personal responsibility or repentance there would be none no, no truth that would drive someone to correcting to correcting the situation. Okay, integrationist therapy. Um, you have the psychotherapy uh, training and theories, um, but you're a Christian or a professing Christian, and so you're kind of trying to integrate the Bible and those theories. Um, the the theories and training are too similar to what we just talked about. They're too similar to the psychotherapy training. The gospel is not the focus and the solution for the person. The sufficiency of scripture is not practiced. Oftentimes there's no scripture um, there. Um, the polluted nature or idolatry is minimized or ignored. And the focus is the nurture theory or the psychological school they've been trained in. If, if you go there for help, they're going to say it's either biological or developmental or we don't know. Some may say... There's also some sin involved, um, but some might not go there. Uh, some may say, don't act out on it, but you're not responsible for it. But, but the personal responsibility and repentance idea, they're either going to be none or it's going to be minimized uh, it, when you compare it to the standard of Scripture. The third uh, belief system is biblical revisionism. There's scholars who've taken the Bible and they've gone to the homosexual passages and they've revised the interpretation of them. And you'll, you can have people come in counseling, and they've been told what the revised passages are. And I've had someone come and say, um, yeah, I believe scripture, I'm a Christian, uh, I've just been taught these passages wrong, and now I know that you know, these passages are right, and that's how I live. I'm, I'm a homosexual and a Christian. Um, so what the overarching claims of these people who have gone in and um, written about these passages They'll say that the Bible is not addressing modern homosexuality. They'll say the Bible is not talking about loving and committed homosexual relationships. Or they'll say there's a natural homosexual orientation the Bible is not addressing. Some will just say the church is wrong. Um, some might say that scripture only prohibits abuses. 
but not these relationships that aren't abusive. Like if you had a man and a boy or something, they'd say, that's what it's talking about. Or they'll say, there's very few passages on this subject. What, what are we even addressing it for? There's much more important things for us to be talking about. Um, but what happens is, and there's many, many more things they say, plus the change of the scriptures, but what happens is that when they throw out these ideas, someone who's not a Christian or a, a, a immature Christian, um, they've done what they set out to do. The, the, the top is, is confused or the, the, what they're saying is believed. And they're not coming out with one unified change. They're just throwing out all kinds of things. And then on a lot of people, it's sticking. And, yeah, you have a question? I have a question. Um, when did this biblical revisionism, like when did that start taking place? What year? It, it's probably back in um, 1950 on. And then with the 60s sexual revolution, it, it got more attention, more work put there. So we'll just, we'll look at... Uh, uh, one passage and see what they say and then we'll look at it from a biblical viewpoint. So in Genesis 19, this, the story of the destruction of Sodom, uh, the, in verse 5, the, the, uh, the young and old men of the city said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. So what they'll say is that um, in the ancient Near East, hospitality was of prime importance and the, the sin that happened in Sodom was being inhospitable and I'll kind of show you why they say that um, or they'll say the passage is not uh, sexual in nature at all they'll say the Hebrew word yada uh, you can't know if the way it's been translated which usually is translated have relations with them you can't know if that's been correctly translated so this this might not have anything to do with sex at all. Or they'll say the passage prohibits rape only, or the passage is all about the pride of Sodom and neglecting the poor, and they'll say you can see that clearly in Ezekiel 16. So you see how they can throw out all these different interpretations, and as long as one of them sticks with somebody, then, then they've done what they want to do. Um, but the, the, uh, the historical interpretation is that Yadah is a sexual context, when it's translated have relations with them, it's right. Um, it's a completely unambiguous sexual context with Lot's daughters just three verses later. So when you use the same word within the same story, three verses later, the, the, the context says what this word means. Yadah can be translated in different ways, but when the context is so clear, it, that's the right interpretation. And then the men's sexual lust was homosexual lust. They refused Lot's offer of his two daughters to, quote, do to them whatever you like. And um, the Bible describes that area of Sodom as like the garden of the Lord. Um, but today, if you were to go and look at it, it remains desolate even to today. There's quite a judgment on that area. In Ezekiel, when it talks about Sodom, he says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom, that she and her daughters had arrogance. You see where they get that, oh, the sin of Sodom was pride. Um, abundant food and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. That's where they got, no, the sin of Sodom isn't homosexuality, it's pride and not helping the poor. Thus they were haughty, pride again, and committed abominations before me, therefore I removed them when I saw it. They don't finish that, that 
the pride led to committing abominations. There was all kinds of sin that went on. The pride is just the overarching problem. Um, so what Ezekiel is describing is that there's prosperity. These cultural factors that led to prosperity led to pride. Pride was their root sin, but it's certainly not the only sin. It's the root sin. And then all these abominations happen. It's like our culture. It, 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 it became very, very prosperous, became more pride in the prosperity and all the sin that's going on in this country now. In Second Peter, um, when Peter addresses... So what I'm doing here, I'm critiquing them, saying this is hospitality and you know other things. In Second Peter 2, 6 through 10, uh, in part it says, it's the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Lot felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds, those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires. So when you read that, you see that the, those involved were thoroughly committed to this practice. It was an open pattern of sexual idolatry. It wasn't rapes done in secret or a lack of hospitality. And in Jude 7, it says, these indulge in gross immorality, and the, the, the Greek for that word is that gross immorality is an out-and-out surrender to sexual sin. These indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, a different kind of flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So for sure what we can get out of Jude 7 is that they were lusting after something forbidden, um, they were violating a divinely established order, and that this was sexual idolatry worthy of eternal judgment. Okay, I, I'm not going to go through these others um, for the sake of time, but you can take like Leviticus 18.22 that says you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It's an abomination. They will, they will give a different interpretation saying that that's not what it's, it's not talking about homosexuality the way um, it's being practiced today. And we can go through and show it absolutely is talking about it. And every passage in the Bible when they come up with the wrong interpretations, the historical interpretations stand. You can be very confident. If, if someone says this has been translated wrong, no, it hasn't been. So excuse me for um, Romans 125, same thing. Wrong arguments they'll give you, and it's so clear how they're twisting it and that the scriptures are very clear about, about it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, same thing. They twist it, and it's... Scriptures are very clear. This I'll, I'll just do this one quickly. It's kind of interesting. In First Timothy one eight through eleven, it, it talks about the law and it says, "But we know that the law is good for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers." and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So Paul was making his point and he, whoops, he, was, he was listing these different kinds of sins. He was thinking in his mind following the commandments, the fifth commandment, the sixth commandment, the seventh commandment, the eighth and the ninth. And homosexuality <coughs> is a violation of thou shall not commit adultery. That 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 commandment is much more broader than most people think. It's, it has to do with sexual sin. And so the law is good um, in, for homosexuals in, in 
revealing sin and that they need a savior. Uh, Additional passages, they will talk about the relationship between David and Jonathan and they'll say it was sexual. They'll go to 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel and quote, Jonathan loved him as himself. They kissed each other and wept together. And David stated, your love to me was more wonderful than the love of a woman. Um, And they'll um, say that this was a homosexual relationship. They'll also say the terminology in the David and Jonathan text parallels some terminology in the Song of Solomon. They'll say Ruth and Naomi were involved sexually also. And then they'll say that the reason it's not more clear in Scripture is because it's just been left to the imagination of the reader instead of being more explicit. Okay, the revisionists will bring up Jesus and they'll say, to defend their cause, and they'll say, Jesus didn't condemn homosexuality in the New Testament. He didn't speak about it at all. In fact, they'll say he brought a new commandment, which was based on love. Um, but, But the historical interpretation, Jesus said in Matthew 19, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus taught from creation that marriage is a divinely ordered institution. He upheld heterosexuality, lifelong commitment. And Jesus was love, but Jesus was also truth. And they leave that part out of it. Jesus was also the creator of the male and female body and biblical marriage. John 1.3 says, And all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. So Robert Gagnon has written an extensive book on uh, examining scripture on homosexuality, and he says, Consequently, the idea that Jesus was or might have been personally neutral or even affirming of homosexual conduct is revisionist history at its worst. So what what they've done is they've come up with alternate interpretations, multiple interpretations, or just thrown uh, an accusation at the church, saying the church has these wrong, multiple wrong motives, why they've done this. Um, bottom line, they're going to be accountable. They are accountable to God. Second Peter three words it um, that the distortion of God's word is to their own destruction. They're leading uh, individuals astray. And they're also, we're going to talk about the affirming church. These activists, these scholar activists, they're the basis for the theology of the affirming church. And that theology is the basis for that whole movement. So, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Isaiah 5. So if you go to them for counsel, they're going to say it's a normal condition. There's no truth I have for you to to change. Um, You're not responsible for this and there's no need for repentance. Okay, the last unbiblical belief system is the affirming church. How, how many of you know about, could you just raise your hand, know about homosexual churches? And, yes. Okay. All right. I didn't know until I had someone who attended a homosexual church come in and ask me for counsel, and I learned all about it. So um, the, the, the affirming church says that it's normal and good to be homosexual and Christian. Um, they use the revised passages to, to make their point. And they're all over the world. Um, Catholics, Baptists, Reformed, Anglican, Mormon, 
all these denominations um, have liberal uh, sects that allow for the homosexuality. Um, there's also uh, homosexual denominations dedicated just to that group, and we're going to talk about uh, one of those churches. There's, there's a, a broad range of acceptance in these churches. Um, some will just ignore the lifestyle. Some will say you can be a member in our church. Some will say you can be clergy. And some will say you can marry. Some will say you can do all that stuff. So there's a broad range of what they allow. Um, where a lot of them are getting in trouble right now is they've let people be members who, by the fruit of their life, don't seem to be Christians, but they didn't use the Bible on the criteria to let them be members, so they can't use the Bible on criteria to be clergy. And they don't want them to be clergy, but they want them to be... So when they, when they start you know, governing their church away from Scripture, they come up with all kinds of problems. There's uh, the biggest denomination is called the Metropolitan Community Church, or they refer to it as MCC or the MET. And it's a denomination and an international movement geared towards gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender persons, founded in L.A. in 1968. And on their website last year, they, they claim to have 43,000 attendees, 300 congregations in 22 countries. Um, a quote off their website it says, we celebrate a huge diversity of theological beliefs, ideology, traditions, and experiences of God, some Christian, some other. As such, to say that we are solely Christian can be excluding of many among our spiritual community. Yes, we are a Christian church made up of all those who are called to be in community with us. So I don't know how more double-minded you, you, can, you can get. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, here's a picture of uh, a Met in New York City. And there's a, a Met or an MCC in San Diego. Um, my wife and I attended a, quote, worship service there. And I'm going to describe what we saw being in there. Um, the clear thing, there was another gospel being preached. It was a gospel of love and acceptance. It was not a gospel of repentance and faith. Um, there's unconditional acceptance of whoever walks in those doors. Not, not just meaning we'll love you and we'll minister to you, but you, know, you're, you make up the church. Um, so no profession of faith, non-Christian faith, uh, any type of sin that's going on, you know, you're, you're a member of the church. And it was to the point of being manipulative where even the solo songs were about your welcome at the Met and that, that kind of thing. And that's a very tempting environment for someone who struggled with this. They've maybe been rejected by family, even be rejected by the church and those kinds of things. And then you have this group saying, come here, we love you. And they're saying, we're just like those churches. It's just we've got these passages right. I mean, you know, that, that's, a, that's the ultimate temptation for somebody to fall into. Uh, the sermon that was given was uh, topical and proof texting. They weren't going through a book of the Bible and she just bounced from a passage to um, making a point. Very few that walked in the door had Bibles in their hand. There was mostly males there. I saw one heterosexual couple and a very few number of kids uh, there. They were promoting uh, same-sex marriage during the sermon. And they promote same-sex marriage on their website. And they're very clear that from the founding in the 60s, that's been the goal. And they see everybody who's gone before them in leadership as the heroes leading towards 
same-sex marriage. Um, the thing that surprised me there was they were altering uh, the gender reference to God. Um, and, and when you walk in there, there's chairs and there's a platform and there's a pulpit and there's elements for communion and there's people singing Christian songs. And, you know, when you first walk in, it looks like a room you'd recognize. Um, but they were altering the gender references so they wouldn't use male references. So instead of saying father, they would say parent or creator. In Jeremiah 31, 9, it says, I am a father to Israel. And they had rewritten it, I'm Israel's parent. They won't say son, they'll use the word Christ. And that's verbally and in writing. And the Lord's Supper that they did, it was open to everyone. It didn't matter your faith, didn't matter if you're under church discipline. And the person administering the ordinance said, quote, The Holy Spirit turns this into the body and blood, whatever that may mean to you. So according to Ezekiel 33, I just really, if you get people from the Met or things like that, strongly warn them. It isn't just, you know, you, they've got those passages wrong. You need to warn them that that is a very, very dark place. This is uh, off their website for the San Diego Met. They have a, uh, it says the Met. That's how they like to refer to themselves. It says an open, affirming Christian faith. Um, open, meaning anybody can be a member there, and affirming, they're affirming your choices of sexuality. Um, and you can see here they have two services. Um, when I was there, I estimated maybe 250 people. So if you go to the affirming church for help in this subject, they're going to say, um, they're going to take you to the Bible and say, this is a normal condition. Um, you're not responsible. There's nothing wrong here. There's no need for repentance. So um, the wrong cause um, for homosexuality that's being done by all these groups, what's happening is there's no change occurring at the heart level. For those who want help, um, even the ones that are trying to help them, they've got the wrong cause and there's not heart level change because there's not repentance. Um, some people are repenting of the behavior, but they're not repenting of their personal responsibility in the whole thing. And, um, the, and the fact that this is so affirmed, change is not really even given much thought to um, for many, many people. Um, part two tonight, we're going to get into the biblical answers um, there's just scripture is just so clear on here's the situation here's how to get out of it um, and then we'll take the truths about homosexuality from scripture and we'll sh- we'll apply it to counseling you know we'll get into uh, the idols of the heart and all those kinds of things that uh, why they're doing what they're doing and then there's a, a, an actual guy that came to IBCD for counseling and we'll go through his story and how the biblical truths were applied to his life and what the outcome of that was Copyright 2012, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.